It's Bartender Journey Podcast number 119, the Tales of the Cocktail 2015 wrap-up show. Well, here I am back from Tales of the Cocktail 2015. Uh, I survived. I'm still trying to uh, kind of recreate everything, re- reconstruct everything that happened. Uh, it was such a whirlwind of activity and meeting so many people and, and uh, great, great seminars and a uh, great time. And sometimes you'd be pulled off on a tangent and missed the thing that you were supposed to go to or, you know, whatever. But I, I tried to stick to my schedule and I'll tell you about some of the stuff I did because it was great. But first, I'll tell you, we're sponsored by St. Michelle Wine Estate's Shake the Vine Contest. And I was there for the Shake the Vine co- Contest. It was during Tales of the Cocktail. And uh, eight finalists competed. They were all uh, super nice guys. They were all guys, sorry, ladies. And uh, and uh, they made some great cocktails. It was a nice event. And here's an interview with the winner, Zach Patterson. And uh, this is just after he finished doing making his cocktails for the judges. You know, he, he didn't know he was the winner yet. So first, tell us uh, where you're from, and, and I want to hear about your cocktails, too. Originally, I'm from, I'm from Bend, Oregon. However, uh, the last 10 years, uh, eight years, I've been spent in Los Angeles, California. Okay. And, uh, and out there, I, I own a bar called Melrose Umbrella Company, where we specialize in, I mean, I don't want to say specialize in craft cocktails, but craft cocktails, handcrafted cocktails are what we do, but we like to mix that with high energy, lots of fun, great experience. It's all about the experience, isn't it? 100%. The drink is almost secondary at some point. I, I, I often say you can go to a bar that makes the best cocktail in the world, have a bad time, you'll probably never go back. Yeah. Or you can go to a bar with shitty cocktails, the best time ever, go back, cross your fingers, get a better cocktail next time. Yeah. Some people talk about the price of a cocktail. It's, it's, it's not really about the price. It's about, did I have a good time and, and was it a value? It's a, exactly, exactly. It's a definitely good mix of the both. So originally the contestants submitted just one recipe, but uh, they had to make two cocktails each, so I asked Zach about that. They uh, last minute hit us up and said, we're going to throw in a surprise. You need to make a cocktail with each, featuring either the Brut sparkling or the Rosé, the St. Michel Rosé sparkling Brut. So I chose the latter to go with the Rosé. That was my Ode to Bacchanel cocktail. Just really wanted to highlight everything that happens to me when, when normally I'm drinking rosé. It's a summer day. It happens a lot down here in New Orleans. It's, it's one of my most memorable experiences I have. I was drinking rosé with friends at Bacchanal, so I, I wanted that to, to shine through. And I put a lot of Northwest love into the cocktail with jammy, ripe strawberries, a lot of herbaceousness from rosemary garnished on a plate of Oregon pine. Yeah, it was a great presentation. Oh, thank you, thank you. So out of the two, which was your favorite person? You know, different drink for a different day. Uh, summer dress to me is, uh, again, like I said, in the craft brew world, it's a very sessionable drink that's, that's got a lot of flavor to it, yet it's light enough that you can sip on ice, on crushed ice, and as it dilutes, you can just keep drinking it down and then order another one. Whereas on the other side, the Eau de Bacchanal is more of a drier, I mean, it's a drier champagne cocktail, so it depends how many of those you want to have in a, in a seating. I like the way you paid attention to the outside of the glass. I thought that was really interesting. You know, you, the summer dress, you, out, you sprinkled with um, orange zest, yeah? Yep, yep. Orange oil. Got to caress the legs. <laughs> That's great. That's, uh, you don't see that every day. No, no. That was, uh, you know, the first time I saw that, I was traveling in France. Okay. And I watched a bartender in France do that. And to me, it just, as soon as I saw that, it was years, years ago. And as soon as I saw it, it made all the world a difference because I yeah. realized your hands are touching the yeah. zest, the zest on your hands. It's going to just keep accentuating, giving that uplifting citrus feel and, and, and nose to it. It makes a lot of sense, you know. And I always say you, you experience a cocktail with all five senses. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, to... Your eyes to, first and foremost. Yeah. And the 
the sound and the yep. temperature in the room and everything else, you know. So to, to dress the outside of the glass makes a lot of sense. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Very cool. Well, great job. Pleasure. It. Hope you win. Ah. <laughs> Cheers. That was actually the first time I'd ever seen that, uh, someone uh, expressing the oil from an orange zest or, or doing something to dress up the outside of the glass, the stem of a, of a cocktail glass, uh, a coupe in this case. It was the first time I'd seen it, but not the last. It came up uh, several times at Tales of Cocktail this year, and uh, I, I think it's a great, great idea. So I have interviews with a few of the other contestants, and uh, we'll play those for you uh, either in this episode or, or a future episode. We'll see how things go as we put this one together. Oh, wait, before we move on, let's talk about Zach's recipes. Uh, great cocktails. The summer dress was with uh, muddled white grapes, St. Michelle Wine Estate's red diamond Chardonnay, Grey Goose uh, Le Pioc. How do you pronounce it? Pear. <laughs> Grey Goose Pear flavor. Uh, aloe liqueur, fresh grapefruit, fresh lemon juice, and simple syrup. And his eau tobacconel, that was strawberry jam, fresh rosemary, lemon juice, lime juice, sherry, pisco, and St. Michelle Sparkling Rosé. So he won the grand prize, and uh, I'll put a, put some pictures up on the website. You know, it's bartenderjourney.net. Uh, so I've got some pictures from the contest and uh, professionally taken pictures, <laughs> not by me. And uh, you will uh, be able to see those on, at bartenderjourney.net and, along with the recipes. All right, moving on. I got a chance to talk to Julie Reiner for a few minutes while she was doing her book signing for her great new book, The Craft Cocktail Party. Well, nice to see you again, Julie. Nice Pleasure to see you. you. How's your tales going? Uh, it's been busy, but great so far. Always hectic, isn't it? Yes. It's always hectic, but always fun, and it gets crazier every year. <laughs> it does, right? It seems like every year there's more and more stuff to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you have to like make a choice. I want to go to this, but it's the same time as the other thing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, your first book, right? Yes. Yeah. How, how was that? Uh, it's great. Uh, you know, it was... Uh, a labor of love and a, a much longer process than I expected it to be. But now that I have a shiny book um, with a lot of, you know, my favorite recipes in it, it's it's great. Nice. And didn't Jim Meehan say in his book, people ask him for advice about writing a book, and yeah. he says, first thing he says, are, are you sure you want to do this? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's yeah, it's it's a lot more than I thought it was going to be. But once you're in it, like you're in it, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like there's no turning back. I think there were many days that I was like, I want to stab myself in the eye, and I wanted to kill the book agent who yeah. talked me into it, you know. Um, but it's been great, and you know, the book is is really geared towards home bartending. So a lot of my criteria for the recipes was like, can my mom make this? You know, it's separated by occasions and reasons that you would have parties at your house, and um, which I love to do, you know. So, yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of stuff that we do at the bar that I don't want to do at my house, you know. <laughs> so... Um, too much work, right? <laughs> no, it's, yeah, well, sometimes, yeah. You know, you know, I'm not making tinctures at my at my house. Yeah. I want to make some delicious cocktails, but I I want it to be relatively quick uh, and delicious. And if I'm having a crowd of people over, you know, I want to make a punch or a pitcher drink and and have it be impressive, but not take take all my time. So that's really where I was coming from with the book. Yeah, yeah. yeah I find that at home. I like to do. I'll, I'll make a batch in a bottle and put a pourer on it and right. people are so impressed and I don't have to be at the bar the whole night. Exactly. And that's that's and as it should be. You should enjoy your own party, right? Yeah. So. Hard to do sometimes. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But I'm the same way. I love to entertain and it's yeah. just fun. 
It is. It's 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 fun. Exactly. It is fun, but yeah, you want to find that middle ground so you're not actually working a shift the whole time. You're you have friends at your house. Yeah. So. Well, I won't keep you. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Thanks so much. All right. All right. I misspoke there a little when I said uh, Jimmy Han mentioned in, in his own, when I was talking about, uh, are you sure you want to do this? It wasn't in his book he mentioned that. It was in the foreword of Greg Sider's Alchemy in a Glass. That's another great book uh, you may have heard me talk about before. Uh, but <laughs> he in the foreword of this book, uh, Jim Meehan says, when Sider said he was working on a book, I tell him what I tell every talented bartender who says they want to open their own bar. Are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> Anyway, Julie did a great job on this book, and that's going to be our book of the week this week, by the way. If you go to bartenderjourney.net, you'll see a link to it and click you through to Amazon to uh, you can where you can pick that up. And uh, Julie, as you probably know, she's the proprietor of the Clover Club in Brooklyn, and that's, a, that's an awesome bar. She also won the award at Tales of the Cocktail two years ago, so that's 2013, as Best Bar Mentor, which is a cool category. She's a uh, she's nice lady, smart lady, and... Uh, and uh, very influential in our industry, as you may know. All right, so starting Wednesday, my flight, by the way, was delayed four hours on Tuesday, so I got there a lot later than I had planned on, so uh, didn't get to go to any of the kind of preliminary Tales of the Cocktail things on Tuesday night. But uh, that's right, starting Wednesday, I attended Irish pubs, how they took over the world, and that was pretty interesting, talking about... um, you know, the, the, how Irish pubs, the, the thing that I took away from that is Irish pubs can generally be a little bit more profitable than other bars for uh, various reasons. Uh, that was an interesting fact, but there, there's great Irish bars all over the world. Next, there was a seminar on agave, sustainable agave. And uh, why we say sustainable, you know, agave, which makes tequila and mezcal, uh, those plants take anywhere from 6, 8, 10, 12, even 30 years to grow, which is crazy to think of that. But, uh, but uh, generally, let's say on average, about 8 to 10 years. And, uh, you know, it's hard to uh, sustain that, especially now. Mezcal is becoming uh, really popular, and uh, I, I certainly enjoy it. Well, speaking about mezcal, uh, Silencio Mezcal had a wonderful suite up on the uh, top floor or, or second on top floor, right next to the pool uh, for most of the week. And uh, they had a lovely suite up there. And uh, I got a chance to speak with the Silencio brand ambassador for a bit. Here's a snippet of that. I'm Torrance Swain, DC brand ambassador for Silencio Mezcal. We're a fairly new company. We just started like less than two years ago. And we're taking... We're, we're trying to take Mezcal to everyone. Unfortunately, the little audio recorder I carry around with me uh, eats eats batteries like for lunch or uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, <laughs> and a snack. And uh, I have to change the batteries quite often. Unfortunately, we lost a little bit of uh, that, that fun interview with Terrence, but uh, we're going to jump back in here. I, I asked him about uh, why Mezcal works so well in cocktails. Uh, because it gives an added profile. Um, another flavor nuance to a cocktail like um, Silencio Mezcal performs really well in cocktails that use pineapple, jalapeno, any type of green vegetables, cucumbers, um, anything with like a fresh element to it. Uh, you can also be savory with it. I like using vanilla with it. Vanilla, the, the light smoke, it just, it just makes sense. It makes me happy. To make it's not, it really cuts through in a cocktail too, you know, like it doesn't matter what strong flavors you put in there, you're going to taste a mezcal one way or another, right? Exactly. That's, and, you know, and that, all that harkens to the love that goes into making the spirit. You know, we take the agave, we roast it in underground pits. Um, 
macerate it down into a beer and then distill it. Um, the Hoven is distilled down to like 80 proof, so it's more designed for sipping. Um, and then uh, the Espadine is, uh, we, we bumped the proof up a little bit to 84 um, because it's the 100% Espadine is more created for cocktailing. Um, the preferred use of the, the Hoven is, is for sipping, but you can cocktail with that as well. It's just very delicate. You know, and so what's the difference in the in the process of making it? Oh, as far as mezcal? Oh, the two, well, well, the Hoven is a blend. So okay. the, the Hoven is a 50% Espadine, that's the back. And then you got 25% uh, Tobaciche and 25% Mexicano okay. uh, agave. Um, what they do is they just provide a little, some floral elements, some different types of uh, earthiness that you won't find in the Espadine per se. Okay. The Espadine is more assertive, but it's still created with the same, the same philosophy that's okay. behind the whole thing. So, it's, so that's not a blend? It's not a blend. It's 100% Espadine, yes. Okay. And I, I'm just so fascinated by this. It, it takes, what, 8, 10, 12 years to grow these agave? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, if you, if, if you, if you look at tequila, it, it's always, it, it has to be 100% Blue Weber agave. Um, and it, a lot of times the agave has to be next to perfect. With, with mezcal, it's not, it's not as stringent. Right. And plus, if you take seven, eight, nine, ten years to grow something, you don't want to just throw it away, right? You gotta, you know, you have to find an application for that product. So, you know, it's funny. I was thinking yes, I was at a seminar yesterday about mezcal, sustainable mezcal, and they were talking about, you know, and I'm thinking. This stuff is valuable now, and it takes 8, 10, 12 years to grow it. They were saying yesterday in the seminar, it's like, that's like their bank account. That thing yeah. growing there is these guys, in this family's bank account. And it, right. it's a really important part of the, of the economics of that little village, you know? It's crazy. I get it, definitely. <laughs> but it, it's so fun, you know, because, you know, you think about whiskey, and it, you know, it's uh, grain comes back every year, but then you have to put it in the barrel. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it ages. But this thing is, it, it, it grows for 12 years, and that, that's sort of the aging process, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So interesting. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you, sir. Yes, sir. I want to, so I, oh, I didn't, I didn't try the cocktail yet. Oh, I wanted okay. to, no, I'm going to try that. Frozen, huh? It's going to be, uh, we start off with lemon, coconut water, ginger infused agave, honeydew juice, basil crystals. Crystals, yes, and the El Silencio Espadine. It's delicious. How do you make basil crystals? Oh, very carefully. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thanks again, man. Well, Terrence wasn't giving away the secret of the basil crystals, but uh, I see by a quick Google search, you can actually uh, purchase them. Also, what comes up when you Google that is uh, basil sugar, which sounds really interesting and good. Anyway, that was uh, one of the most memorable cocktails I had there. And by the name, of, and by the way, the name of it was Happy Ending. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it was uh, frozen. It was in a you know frozen slushy machine, uh, and it was good. There was a lot of that. Um, a lot of frozen drinks this year, which was cool. You know, high-quality ingredients in a, in a frozen drink machine is, uh, can be awfully delicious. Getting back to Mezcal, everybody I talked to about Mezcal uh, is very passionate about it. Uh, the people that make it, the people that uh, stock it in their bars. Um, I talked to Bobby Hugel, who's, uh, if you don't know who that is, he's a very successful bar owner in Houston, Texas. That's an interview I did for... Um, 
for Tales 365. Uh, and uh, if you don't know about that, that's a subscription service that uh, you need to need to be a member to hear the other podcasts that I do, uh, uh, which includes some of these uh, the, some of these other interviews and, and the audio recordings of the seminar. I guess I already mentioned that today, right? Uh, anyway, uh, so um, yeah, Bobby. Hugel, uh, he, I mean, he literally goes to as many of the little villages uh, that uh, produce the mezcals that he stocks in his bars uh, as he can and uh, talks to people that make it. And uh, it's really, uh, you know, this thing's really steeped in uh, tradition, making mezcal. And uh, there's, there's just everybody I've met talking about mezcal is really passionate about it and it's a it's a really delicious uh, spirit it, like as i said in the interview there it really cuts through when you use it in a cocktail and uh you know every anytime i go to a new cocktail bar i kind of scan the menu for uh, mezcal and i pretty much always order that one <laughs> All right, so next I was off to an event at the Napoleon House, and if you don't know about this, it was a house built for Napoleon when he was going to escape France and he was going to come to New Orleans, and I'm not going to get the story right, he was captured before he could uh, escape, and uh, I don't know my Napoleon history well enough to <laughs> continue the story, but uh, but uh, anyway, the, now there's a wonderful bar that's been bar restaurant that's been there for a very long time, and the event taking place was the third annual Mandarin Napoleon Imperial Battle of the Sexes, and uh, Mark De Kuyper uh, showed me around a little bit, and I'll do more about this episode in a, in a I'll I'll do more about this in a future episode, uh, and uh, I got to interview a lot of the contestants and. Uh, I uh, check out their drinks, and I, I have more audio from this, which I'll use in a future episode and uh, give you the results. But uh, but uh, here's a, here's a little snippet with Mark. Well, great! This is uh, great to meet you. Likewise. Uh, so tell us about this event. Can't wait. Looks exciting. So this is the fourth time we do uh, a, a battle um, with, for Commander Napoleon. Uh, the third time that we do actually a battle of the sexes. So it's two teams uh, of four bartenders from all over the United States battling each other. Yeah. And there's a big prize. Um, it's the, the the communicated prize is actually uh, a trip to Miami, but we always throw in uh, some some uh, some extra, extra surprises in there. Right. So, uh, but I can't tell you that right, right. now. <laughs> but what, so what's the competition? Right? What, what what what's the parameters of the competition? Um, so they all got a sample of the Mandarin Napoleon, and uh, they so they had some time to prepare their cocktail. Okay. And so they're presenting their cocktail. We we got all their ingredients for them here. Um, so they're making the cocktails right now. And in a little bit, like uh, 100, 150 people will walk in, and they will choose which cocktail they like best. So they have like a little ballot, and they can write down uh, their favorite cocktail, and we'll see who wins in the end. Well, tell us about the brand. So Mandarin Napoleon is, uh, is, is actually created by a family called um, uh, the Fourcois family. They, they lived in, uh, in Belgium. Um, they actually uh, accidentally or can, kind of like co-created it with Emperor Napoleon in, uh, in the 1800s. Okay. Uh, and my family took, took the brand in, um, in five, six years ago. Oh, okay. um, and uh, they kept it in the family for seven generations. Our family's in business for 11 generations. And we've been... Pr- Distributing their their brand in a couple of our markets. Wow, eleven generations. That's amazing. Yeah, six sixteen ninety five. Wow. So as I said, we'll have more from that competition in a future episode. Interviews with the uh, some of the contestants, and uh, I'll give you the results of the uh, the competition. Let you know who won. So keep in mind, all of this is still the first day of tales. <laughs> 
And that night was the big Pinot Ricard party, and it was uh, quite elaborate to say the least. Uh, one of the most thing, one of the things that stands out in my head was the Ramos Gin Fizz. Uh, station and uh there was about eight or ten people there uh, bartenders shaking the ramos gin fizz they would they would start on one end and pass it down to the next guy and pass it down to the next guy until every all ten of them have shaken the drink you know the uh the classic recipe for that is for a for a ramos gin fizz is to shake it for 10 minutes so i guess they had <laughs> they had 10 guys who were each shaking it for one minute approximately they might have cheated a little there but but boy those those were good they were really good and uh gosh it was uh, crazy uh crazy party <laughs> and it was the day wasn't over yet uh although i must admit it was for me i was i had had enough by then but i was sorry i missed the william grant party of the world war ii museum that must have been incredible uh amazing i for one thing i really wanted to see the world war ii museum but uh i don't i had had enough by 10 o'clock i was i was ready for bed and tomorrow's another day all right Early Thursday morning, time to get up and uh, get some coffee and uh, head off to another seminar. This one is uh, Stylish Service with Anthony Pullen. Remember, I spoke to him. Uh, he's the brand ambassador for Bowles Geneva, and uh, he's also a flair bartender. And this uh, this was all about flair, and oh my gosh, it was so much fun. We had such a great time flipping bottles, uh, throwing stuff at each other, and uh, we, it was a great time. This is kind of what it sounded like in the middle of it. <laughs> We learned four tricks, uh, tossing an ice cube up and catching it in tin, uh, taking your um, Hawthorne strainer and helicoptering it and landing it on top of the tin, uh, throwing, uh, oh, twirling a spoon, twirling your mixing spoon, and throwing a bottle behind your back and catching it in the other hand. So uh, that was really fun. Uh, and the other thing, uh, well, the one thing I learned about flair is it takes a lot of practice, <laughs> and uh, you need. Then the advice given was, don't practice behind the bar. But the other thing is, uh, and I've heard this from other flair bartenders, you know, when, if you're doing that, you know, if that's your guest's first impression of you, they're gonna say this guy knows what he's doing. They're gonna put their trust in you, and uh, but and everybody's gonna have a good time, and they're gonna leave bigger tips. So what I need to do is practice those moves. You may remember I spoke to David Sangwell on one episode of Bartender Journey, and uh, he uh, he's into flair, and his uh, he, he has a website and, and a podcast called Bartender HQ, and he talks about flair a lot. So uh, if you want to find out more, go uh, go check his stuff out. He's on uh, he's on YouTube too, so uh, that's probably a, that's a good way to learn about flair, isn't it? Next on my schedule was a David Wondridge seminar, a bottle and a cork. Bars of Old New York, and that was uh, that was fun. Uh, he's he's brilliant, brilliant guy, entertaining guy. Anything with uh, anytime I get a chance to listen to him talk, I do it. So, uh, and being a New Yorker myself, I was especially interested in that. The next seminar was a couple hours later, so I'm sure I found some tasting room to uh, to uh, enjoy a few uh, samples in. And uh, so then came said talks, which was 15 minute talks about various subjects, and uh, that was that was very interesting as well. Next, I went to House of Elix. Elix being Absolute's high-end vodka, and uh, they always put on a great party at the Gaslight Museum. And uh, believe it or not, in the back, they're still making gas lights, and there there are gas lights throughout New Orleans, uh, which are co- so cool to see. But they put on an amazing party there and make really high-end, fabulous drinks. And uh, if you're ever at Tales of Cocktail, don't miss the House of Elix. Next, I went to a party for a brand new vermouth, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly, La Quintine Vermouth, and uh, Audrey Ford is involved with that, and uh, that was another great party, masquerade party. 
good great drinks great people uh, i ran into gaz there and uh philip duff was there and it was a great party great food and i uh, really enjoyed that Next, I had a dinner with Mizan Rum, and uh, you remember I talked to Warren Bobro a lot, and uh, he was uh, he was he came up with all the cocktails at that dinner and uh, spoke several times, and uh, they they treated us great and uh, fed us some great food. It's a little fuzzy what happened after that. Uh, I'm sure I went to one of the uh, I don't know I went out somewhere. <laughs> well, then came Friday, and then Saturday, and then Sunday. I didn't leave till Monday, so I won't bore you with every minute of my. Uh, well, it wasn't boring at all, but <laughs> I won't take you through my uh, my whole week minute by minute, uh, even if I could uh, piece it all back together. But um, the uh, I, you know I'll be bringing you more audio that I recorded uh, in future episodes, and uh, I look forward to talking to you then. Uh, stay tuned for our toast. We always do a toast at the end of the show. So, but first, I'll tell you the, the website is bartenderjourney.net, and uh, please go there if you see any. Uh, see some links uh, you'll see some links i should say of uh products books that i talk about on the show and uh anything that you uh anytime you click through a link from bartenderjourney.net through the amazon it doesn't cost you any extra and it helps the show out a little bit i'd appreciate it and uh subscribe to the show on itunes or stitcher and uh so you'll get the next episode as soon as uh, it's available Again, my name is Brian Vincent Weber, and uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter, Barkeep Tips. You can find me on email. It's vince.bartender at gmail.com. And uh, feel free to get in touch for any reason. Oh, go to the uh, Facebook page and like it. Search for Bartender Journey on Facebook. I miss New Orleans already. You know, I still haven't unpacked yet. All right, here's our toast. Here's to you, a speedy calm to the storm of life. Cheers, everybody. We'll see you next time on Bartender Journey. Yeah.